Hello and welcome to CQ Speaks, the voice of the Carolina Quarterly. I'm Colin Nekesheter, poetry editor of the Carolina Quarterly, and on this episode I'm joined by Patrick Millian to discuss his work in our winter 2021 issue. Patrick Millian is a queer, positive, Cuban-American teacher and writer. He holds an MFA and a PhD from the University of Washington. Recipient of fellowships from the Simpson Center for the Humanities, he is the author of The Unquiet Country, forthcoming from Ancherios Books, and the chapbook Pornographies from Gray and Ghost. His poems have appeared in Poetry Magazine, Gulf Coast, Los Angeles Review, and the Seattle Review, for which he was a Pushcart Prize nominee. His musical collaborations have been performed by Northwest Art Song, Line Upon Line, and Arizona State University's Lyric Opera Theater. Born in Denver, he now lives in Seattle and teaches at Green River College. Patrick, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. So the Carolina Quarterly published a suite of your poems, um, four in total, in our recent winter issue, issue 70, volume two. And the poems are are striking for many reasons and and are set around the life and music of Nadia and Lily Boulanger. The poems sort of alternate um, between them or combine them in interesting ways. We're going to jump right into it, but before we hear one of your poems, maybe it's best to give listeners a little bit of context. So could you tell us a little bit about who Nadia and Lily Boulanger were? Sure, sure. So these two women were a pair of sisters born in the late 19th century in Paris, and they were, they were both musicians. Lily Boulanger, the younger of the two, was pretty famous in her time for having been a child prodigy. She was the first woman to win the Prix de Rome for composition and really had had quite the following. She died uh, in her 20s from what at the time was called intestinal tuberculosis, but what we now call Crohn's disease. Mm. So she was this wildly celebrated prodigy, whereas Nadia went on to live well into her 90s. She didn't die until the 70s. And she actually was perhaps more impactful than her sister as far as the sort of shape and sound of 20th century classical music, not because of what she wrote, and though she did write a little bit, primarily she was a teacher. And she taught people like Leonard Bernstein, Philip Glass, like all the heavy hitters of 20th century classical music. And so even though people know very little about the music Nadia wrote, she is just baked into the DNA of the last hundred years of music. So I was really interested in, in this pair of sisters who were both sort of fighting to contribute to an artistic world that didn't really care to hear anything that they had to say, and yet found found ways to have an impact in wildly asymmetrical ways. And, and they, they relate to some really, um, really compelling ideas around, around queerness, around kinship, around illness that I explore throughout throughout these poems and really throughout the the rest of the book, The Unquiet Country. That's fascinating. They seem to have led very, very interesting lives. Um, I listened to some of their music after reading your poems, and I really enjoyed it, but I didn't know anything about them or their influence, um, which I suppose is part of the reason for your project, to bring them to light a little bit more. With that said, it's a good time to hear one of the poems, and it probably makes most sense to 
start at the beginning with from the clearing. If there's anything you want to tell us about the poem, feel free, but also just feel free to jump right in. For sure. So uh, from the clearing is kind of an ekphrastic poem based on a song cycle called Clarier dans le ciel by, by Lily Boulanger. The song cycle is a setting of uh, 13 poems by the poet Francis Jeans. And uh, yeah, there aren't 13 sections to, to this poem, but, but the sections sort of hover around 13 lines each. And so the, the name of the song cycle is Clearings in the Sky. So the poem I named from the clearing. Spring, the year's broken blister. Water slurs at her ankles and sucks into her dress. She pulls muddy clumps of epilobe and lavender from the drowned meadow. The sun sets, turning the squirrels and the horses red. If a mouth opens to the evening, we might say that it blooms. If a mare opens, it rots. He waits for her. He draws lipstick circles around his eyes, two sloppy kisses. She papers herself like cellophane to the scene, the scene the song sings. The squirrels go about burying the knuckle bones. Spring, opacity and urges. He wants to touch her like a kitchen accident, a suddenly bright blue. There are 13 songs about the missing woman and the longing man, unnamed. The man is D and she is B flat. The shimmering 13th, inherit your name and compost it. Number your name and listen for it. He measures the boundary. The meadow presses into the forest. The forest bloated with the red feet of mushrooms in dangerous houses presses back. More exact measurements yield a longer border, logic of the labyrinthine opening. Try not to think more than two sentences ahead. Try not to be distracted by the smaller longings. At night, the stars quiver in their fat reflections, doubled like lungs, like testicles. He sleeps through the religious dark, lush as bloody soil. She meanwhiles, and won't confect her absence with evidence. A slither across the grass, black shushing, brain-colored rills in the wet electric. Eventually, there's no longer less to be left with, only a conspiracy of clearings in the sky. When I say, look, you listen. When I say, to be honest, you wonder what I was before now. There is a maze inside your ear. The water that sloshes inside the labyrinth forms a negative of your body. The skin comes away with difficulty, but like petals lets the light in. Whisper to yourself in your own language. Say it until your head spins. When you listen, you build as much as you demolish. That's why they call the bone inside your ear a hammer. Weirdly headed in the half silence, Complete it. He's crushed mazes of waxy red lipstick all over his quivering body. Let me tell you the difference. One sister walked across the century with her feet wrapped in fire followers, 
destruction the mute muchness of her. One was the whispered vowel in a word that means a dream that leaves its mark. They call it a masterwork. Listen like a hammer. Mistress work fears nothing so fraudulent as the name we call it by. Really beautiful, thank you. And, and also really devastating in ways, destruction, the much muteness of her, a great line. And the poem is packed with a, with a lushly uh, dark imagery that's all sort of embodied in really interesting ways, the hammer in the ear, black slushing, brain-colored rills in the wet electric. And I love its sense of, of space and scenery, which is added by how it's situated on the page. And the first thing I actually found really striking about these poems was their form. No two are alike. They actually vary greatly, and they're incredibly composed, but also go so many places and, and directions. And the last poem is after Tayemba Jess, who's known to do really, really fascinating things with form. Um, so you're obviously thinking about the space on the page a great deal. Can you talk about your relationship to form and maybe how, how Nadia and Lily's music influenced the shape of the poems and the issue? Mm-hmm. That's, that's a good question. And, and you're right. The, um, you know, every poem looks a little different on the page. So when it comes to, when it comes to the one I just read, I, I was interested in, in clearings and gaps and openings and pauses. Um, and so I really wanted to, to bring that into it. When I, when I wrote The Prodigies, you know, what I really wanted to do was not so much ventriloquize Lily and Nadia, but rather like let their voices um, work, I suppose, in counterpoint with my mm-hmm. own. And it seemed that the only way to, to do that ethically was to be kind of formally rigorous and to sort of foreground a sense of, of, of having been composed mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to having been um, borrowed or stolen. And I think that that ethic really comes through. You mentioned um, the notion of kinship in the poems, and that's obviously here with the two sisters, um, especially in the asymmetries, which I was also hoping to hear. But yeah, that that duty of remaining ethical during, I guess, what's a kind of transcription that's happening between musician and poet or music and poetry is probably pretty difficult to maintain, but you do. And that comes across in the language, but it also really comes across on the page through form. Um, all the poems seem really thought out, and that may be an obvious thing to say about poetry, but I actually don't think a lot of poetry is as thought out as the poet might want uh, their readers to believe, at least in my instance. But the poems feel like they're in a real and important conversation with the music and with the lives of, of Nadia and Lily. And so I'm curious now about, about the composition, actually. Were you, were you listening to their works while writing? W- what was the process like? Yeah, that's... That's a good question too, because it was like part of it was listening to to their music, mm-hmm. which which is inherently kind of limited um, with with Lily's very short career and then Nadia's sudden change into teaching and so her her also short musical career in that regard. Um, there's there's not much music to listen to. Um, so drawing on what I could find while at the same time 
um, and we'll we'll talk about this when we talk about the asymmetries. Um, some of the of the poems in this larger project and the asymmetries specifically um, are written for music and to be set to music and and performed. So kind of imagining um, my my collaborator Emerson Eads and the music that he might he might put these words to um, as I was writing them. So I'm reaching both both into the past. To, to, to this music from 100 years ago and then into the future to the music that hasn't been written yet right. and trying to occupy that space. Um, and I think that's what, that's what like queer kinship is all about is sort of um, pushing against uh, linearity mm -hmm. and imagining like a larger network. I love the idea of thinking about reaching into the past um, and the future at once with intention and sort of collapsing linearity that way. I think that collapses is felt on the line and in the forms you use not to focus so much on form, but I had no idea they were written to be set to music. And I want to ask you about that, but we've teased um, the asymmetries a couple times now. So I think it's best that we hear it actually. Would you mind giving it a read? Yeah, for sure. So um, before, before I dive in, I'll just say that it's, um, it's laid out on the page, uh, sort of on, on two different sides. There are lines that are aligned with the right-hand margin, lines aligned with the left, and then we end in the center. And it's, it's kind of a visual approximation of, of lines that belong to Lily and lines that belong to Nadia. Um, but as, as I read it out loud, I like to to let these voices melt together. Um, there are moments of dialogue that pop out, um, but I like when the dialogue becomes a little, a little less clear. Right. The asymmetries. I've never been careful. You could bury me in the earth and fireweed muffed on my hem. Fire followers bloom into the first precise shape the fire takes but all good beginnings need a little chaos to be expelled from. The sound of the city is also the sound of the window its keening presses against, city whose fate is to break. Our mother inherited a country that burned down and was mailed in packets of ash to the opposite shore. My body is an envelope marked armory. My sister's is mislabeled dovecote. We burn up the world little by little with our breathing. Survive by song, she said to me. It will keep you warm. I wiped the knives clean on her dress during one of our 24 winters. Have you ever loved beyond your own body until you became the echo of a rose window shattering? Give me transparency, the untouchably green air of a spring morning that believes itself the grace of it. The first song I ever loved was a siren ringing through the window. I imitated the alarm on the piano. It was a promise to make panic elaborate, to make music mean a burning building. She runs through it. How could she? How dare she? We're a needle sharpened at both ends, pushing through to the other side of both sides. We're an oracle with two glass eyes, one crystal, 
one obsidian. If I'm the garden, she's the flaming sword guarding it. If I'm the steel, she's the satin I stitch together. Love is a terribly asymmetrical thing, briefly simultaneous. Thank you. I'll say that this poem felt the most grounding for me, and maybe that's because it felt the most biographical of, of the suite. And that feeling was there before knowing anything about their lives. There's just a larger sort of sweeping history that's felt here, and that really adds to the emotional and, and intellectual range of the poems. And yeah, going from poems that are after certain pieces to this one, which is for Nadia and Lily themselves, I don't think you, you read the subtitle, but for listeners, it's um, a prime number of lines for Nadia and Lily Boulanger. But getting into a conversation with them, through them, in a poem that is for them is interesting on a lot of levels, especially with respect to, to kinship and collaboration. And and with collaboration in mind, actually, I'm thinking about setting verse to music now, especially to music that you haven't heard. And I'm curious about your musical collaborations. Can you talk a bit about that and maybe some past collaborations you've done? Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll speak specifically about the work that, that Emerson and I have done together because I feel like every collaboration is a little unique, but, but working with Emerson, he and I, we've, we've done a, a, a few works together, but a few years ago, we, we worked on a piece that, that I guess, I guess you could call it a song cycle. I guess you could call it like a mini opera, um, but it was called, it was called The Gleaners. And he, he called me up one, one night and he was like, oh, you know, I'm wondering if you want to do this song cycle together. Friends of mine who perform with Northwest Art Song are asking me to do something for them. And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, what are you thinking about? And he's like, oh, well, I'd love to do something around the, uh, the book of Ruth in the Bible. And, and he said that, and like, I'm not, I'm not a Bible reader. I'm not a church goer. So like, I immediately kind of hesitated and I was like, ah, mm, I really, <laughs> I don't know about that. But then he, he sort of talked me through it and he was like, you can read this book and the relationship between Ruth and Naomi as like the, the only queer relationship in the Bible. Like it's, mm. it's this sort of like romance between these two women that refuse to leave each other's sides. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, so there's like, there's room for me in this story. <laughs> let, me, let me imagine my way into it. Um, and then just like the absolute pleasure of working with, uh, with Northwest Art Song and those like world-class performers. But so, so the process involves this like very weird sort of give and take where they're you're sort of like handed an assignment and you're like I don't really want to want to do it um but then but then like you find you find a space within that assignment it's mm -hmm. it's like a constraint um you you find a world within that constraint that you can build so I wrote I wrote a text I sent it to him. He was like, okay, this is sort of hard to set for these reasons. Um, can we change this line and that line? There was a particular poem that I worked very, very hard on. <laughs> he was like, he was like, can we just cut it? And I was like, no. Nope. <laughs> so, so it's like, <laughs> there, that you, it's, it's, it's a very strange kind of relationship. And honestly, what's, what's very weird is how, um, you know, Emerson and I have spent very little time in the same room at the same time. 
Mm -hmm. uh, most of our conversations happen over email or over the phone. So it's at once like very intimate and then very distant. So, so collaboration is such a, I don't know, there's, there's a lot of trust. There's a lot of sacrifice. It's like a marriage. It's really right. intense. But then with, with these particular poems, with, with the asymmetries, and there are, there's, there's one other poem, maybe two, uh, that, that, are, that are set to music by Emerson in the book. It was, it was sort of me calling up him and being like, hey, I want to do this project. I want to write about these two sisters. And, and if, if he hesitated the same way I hesitated <laughs> about the book of Ruth, he didn't, he, he kept his cards close to the chest, so I didn't know. But it was sort of it was it was switched around, mm -hmm. right? And like the the final product that we're working for now is is a book as opposed to a staged performance. So we're kind of trying to reorient this relationship uh, toward a different end product. Yeah, on on end products and also on sacrifice. Does knowing that what you are writing is going to be set to music change your relationship to the line, or do you try to stay? true to your own voice and style but i mean truth be told the first poem i ever wrote the, the first time i ever tried to write a poem it was it was an attempt as a freshman in college to write an opera libretto mm. uh, so if i could write any one thing it would it would be words for music mm. i find it i find it incredibly liberating uh as as much as the the collaboration process is fraught. Writing words for music is <sighs> knowing that you're only responsible for a part of the end product kind of takes a lot of pressure off. Hmm. We can be real. There are some incredible works of music that have the most garbage texts. So, you know, but like, <laughs> like, like Lily's you know, Clarier dans le ciel, that, that Jean's text is awful. Like it's, it's super sentimental and just like reading it on its own, it's, it's really disappointing. And so knowing that, that I get to write bad poetry and it might still live on as good music gives me a lot of freedom to play and experiment. And so even the poems in this suite that aren't written for music, I try to approach as if they are written for music because that's the only way I think I can reach a certain level of permission. Mm -hmm. Well, we're just about out of time, but I'll say that we at the Carolina Quarterly and our listeners and readers are very appreciative of your play and experimentation. It's led to some wonderful poetry and we're going to hear one more poem to see us out. But before that, we've referenced your forthcoming book a couple of times. Can you tell us a little more about it? Of course. So the book is called The Unquiet Country. It's coming out in the spring of 2022. So lots of time to build anticipation. Uh, coming out from, from the great folks at Entre Rios Books, who have been really wonderful. The book centers on Nadia and Lily. It starts with them, but it goes to lots of other places. It does include a digital download for the music that Emerson has written for this. And it'll be, yeah, it'll be, it'll be really exciting. We're hoping that once it comes out, we can put together sort of an, an accompanying performance that goes along with it. 
but the world being what it is right now, we aren't we aren't making those plans quite yet. Well, consider the anticipation built. I'm I'm really looking forward to it, and I'm excited for the performance aspect of it too. I'm very curious about what your your language inspired musically, so I, I'm looking forward to that release. Again, we're just out of time. Um, before you read, I want to thank you for your contribution to Carolina Quarterly and for joining me to talk about your work. You're very welcome. This has been my pleasure. The pleasure is all mine. It was it was really great speaking with you. Okay, here's Patrick Millian reading one last poem from his suite of poems in the winter 2021 issue of the Carolina Quarterly. This work is another kind of ekphrastic poem based on one of the few original compositions that Nadia published during her life, uh, the three pieces for cello and piano, mistress work. One, Madere. Grief is an unpeeling. The melody pulls its skin away until it hangs there like the deep wings of an iris. Under it, raw is winter, more skin, a little shinier. Grief is a repeating to the point of blinding glossiness. A man watches his own green reflection in the pool he lowers himself into. The salt and smell of the water perfectly match him, a perfect nullity. So he floats the way wordlessness makes an image strike the mind more patiently when you can't describe it. Two, sans vitesse et allez. It's a crying shame what passes for heartbreak these days. The cello carries itself down the hallway and shadows unlatched from the living. If you stand in the mirror and speak his name three times, the piano will say, child, we all, especially the dead, go in the direction of lemons. Leave them long enough and gray mold fingers its way through like dull afternoons, and then you'll realize how thin the skin was in the first place. Shake your lavender with sad irony, wear white instead of black, eat every slice of condolence cake, pretend your body is chiffon and your skirt is greasy gristle. Three, vite enervesement rythme. Never confuse tenderness with tending away from danger. Never try to outrun the viscous rayon that's melted to your calves, though yes, you look smashing. And who promised you mournful sounds would be quiet? Why wouldn't they clang like tin alarm bells hooked to your ribs? The heart is a raucous pendulum. If sadness took itself seriously, we'd invade a nation of blue hornets, only to revere a tattered brown flag. I fly a hysterical banner of satin and cellophane at the borders of my unquiet country. Its shore is sugared with foam, immeasurable. Thank you for listening to CQ Speaks. If you'd like to learn more, visit us at thecarolinacorderly.com and follow us on Instagram at carolinacorderly and on Twitter at nc underscore quarterly. Remember to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen and be on the lookout for our upcoming issues. Until next time, read well, write well, and thanks for listening.